Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Before we get started today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you are listening, YouTube, as well as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave that rate and review. Drop a like for us. Drop a comment. Tell us what you're thinking about this game ahead this weekend. Iowa versus Minnesota in Kinnick Stadium. And once again, we've got Dylan Callahan Crowley from Minnesota.Rivals.com joining us. He's on double duty. Yes, you recognize that name. He was covering Penn State as well earlier in the season, helped us preview that game. Iowa fans, of course, hoping this one goes a little bit different. But Dylan, Minnesota, one of the toughest schedules in the country to this point, now sitting at 3-3, and wins over Nebraska, Eastern Michigan, Louisiana, plus losses to Northwestern plus North Carolina and Michigan. So how do you evaluate this team at this point with those two losses to some really good teams, awful loss to Northwestern, and then beating a few not-so-great teams as well? It's got to be kind of difficult to determine where where they're at. Yeah, it it really is, you know, very hard to kind of gauge what this Minnesota team is. I think we know what they, to a degree, what they are and what they're not, but yeah, you mentioned it's one of the most difficult schedules in the country this season. And then you tie in that Tanner Morgan is gone. Uh, Mo Ibrahim is gone. Those are two big losses, especially Ibrahim. He, he's been the hardest, heart and soul of that Minnesota offense for the last few years. Uh, they haven't been able to replace him to the same degree. Uh, Darius Taylor, a true freshman, stepped in, has stepped in and done nicely when healthy, but we haven't seen him in a few weeks. It's unclear if he'll be ready to go this weekend against the Hawkeyes. Um, but on the other hand, that defense has that has been, you know, very strong the last few years has kind of taken a dip this year. The secondary hasn't been as strong as expected. The front seven is solid, but, you know, for a front seven that's never been great to begin with, uh, it, it probably has taken a little bit of a step down, which, like I said, it was never great to begin with, so it's kind of hard to judge just how good that front seven is it's not a great front seven i don't think it's a terrible front seven they get the job done for the most part but at the same time this isn't a minnesota team that has a ton of great athletes across the board they have some good good ones but not great ones and i think over the course of the season we've seen that take its toll on the gophers i mean they've struggled with the more athletic teams this year uh, and they've struggled even with teams like Northwestern. You mentioned that loss. I mean, that's kind of loss that I think has kind of set the tone for this season. Outside of that, it's kind of been what you've expected, uh, a, a quality team, but a team that doesn't have those big against the teams like Michigan. They've done well in those other games, but you know that loss to Northwestern has kind of just put a bad feeling on this season so far for the Gophers. Uh, and have lower has lowered expectations going forward. You mentioned not having. I I almost think more of Tanner Morgan when I think of Minnesota as opposed to Mo Ibrahim. Yeah. Maybe that's just just me, but it's weird to think of anybody under center other than Tanner Morgan for Minnesota. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean Tanner Morgan felt like he was here for, in, in Minneapolis for a decade. And now, you know, Ethan Caligmanis uh, steps into that starting role. He started quite a few games last year while Tanner Morgan was injured. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's very weird not seeing Tanner Morgan under center still for the Gophers. He just became such a 
identity of that uh, Minnesota program. He was, uh, you know, the kind of the face of that program, uh, the the spokesperson when it comes to the actual players on the program in the program. So definitely weird not having him around the Golden Gophers. And I think to a degree they may miss that leadership that he brought. I'm not saying Ethan is a bad leader. Uh, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, when you have a quarterback who has the veteran uh, presence of a Tana Morgan, that's hard to replace. Definitely. And in terms of production, it's definitely difficult to replace yeah. a guy like Mo Ibrahim. Tell me more yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, Mo Ibrahim, what can you say about him during his career with the Golden Gophers? He was just a fantastic running back whenever he's healthy. Uh, I mean, you look at what he did last year, Coming off a, a serious injury the year before, an Achilles tear, he, he carried the ball 320 times last year for the Gophers, 1,600 yards, 20 touchdowns. I mean, if there's one thing you could say negatively about this Minnesota rushing attack over the last few years, it's that P.J. Fleck has a tendency to run his running backs into the ground, uh, having that one bell cow. and They really haven't had that one guy this season. I mentioned Darius Taylor true freshman out of Michigan being that type of running back uh, in his four games this year, 87 carries 532 yards and four touchdowns, but he's been banged up the last few weeks left the Northwestern game late with an injury and hasn't been seen since obviously now coming off a of bye week, perhaps he's ready to go against Iowa, but beyond Taylor, Sean Tyler, a Western Michigan transfer averaging 4.3 yards per carry hasn't had the impact that many would have assumed he would have had. I mean, this is a kid, who had uh, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons for Western Michigan, hasn't been a focal point of this Minnesota offense at all. He had some fumbling issues earlier in the season, and the Golden Gophers kind of went away from him at that point. Bryce Williams, somebody that we thought could take that next step, just 3.4 yards per carry. And then Zach Evans, who had a breakout performance in the spring, hasn't had a ton of opportunities, just 27 carries, 130 yards. It's really been a a big question mark of what this Minnesota Russian attack is because they haven't had that one bell cow running back. It looked like they were going to have that in Taylor before the injury. But uh, since then it, it's been a, a major question mark. And uh, I would say it's a major question mark can into the season. And for a Minnesota offense that can't pass the ball, which you alluded to with the production, I mean, Calig man is just 797 yards through six games, six touchdowns, six interceptions. If you can't throw the ball and you can't run the ball, it's usually not a great, you know, uh, recipe for success. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. That <laughs> uh, football, put simply, right there. Yeah. But um, when, when you're when you're talking about the running attack and Taylor, the possibility of him coming back, would you say he's I don't know questionable, probable going into this weekend? Where would you say he's at health wise? And do you know what the injury is specifically? I do not know the exact injury off the top of my head. P.J. Fleck, uh, like when we talked about Penn State with James Franklin, uh, P.J. Fleck loves to keep it under wraps of what specific injuries are. How Kirk Ferentz does the same thing. Yep, how yep. long players will be out. Uh, when you ask P.J. Fleck now about injuries, he says the injury report will be two out two hours before kickoff. You can find out then. And uh, when it comes to guys practicing, he says that's always the plan. Uh, and if they can practice, he'll practice them. That being said, I would probably put him at questionable. Um, uh, we'll see whether or not that happens. But I'd say questionable is probably the best way to put it. And it's this weekend. 
Now, when you're talking about the Gophers offense, can't run the ball, can't pass the ball. Running is, is I guess, what you would quantify or, or uh, consider their strength, given that the yeah. passing attack for them is 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 so bad. Um, and, and you mentioned that they don't have really a bell cow. So is it pretty much, I mean, looking at the stats, it looks like running back by committee without Darius Taylor. Is is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah I think it would be pretty fair to say that is a running back by committee type spot for uh, the Golden Gophers. And, I mean, you look at the season-long stats averaging 4.4 yards per carry, but if you break it down game by game, the three games in which Darius Taylor didn't play, he had one carry against Nebraska. So we'll say for the sake of this, he didn't play in that game. Against Nebraska, just 25 carries for Minnesota, 55 yards. Louisiana, you know, a group of five team, they averages 3.9 yards per carry. And then last week, two weeks ago against Michigan, albeit a very good Michigan defense, just three yards per carry. Um, you look back at what they did in that Michigan game, uh, they had uh, a running back by committee approach there. Zach Evans, 12 carries. Bryce Williams, 10 carries. Sean Tyler, six carries. And I guess the wild card to throw into this is actually safety Tyler Newbin, who also moonlights on the offensive side of the ball as well. He had six carries in that game against the Wolverines for 25 yards. So definitely would say it's a running back by committee approach. I would expect Evans and Williams to be the two main ball carriers for uh, the Golden Gophers if Darius Taylor isn't available. But it's also, I feel, going to be one of those things where if one running back gets the hot hand, they'll probably stick with that guy throughout the day as well. 127th nationally in the passing game. Yeah, we know what the issue is at Iowa. 128th. They, uh, well, they got a backup quarterback in. One, two. Uh, well, their top three tight ends are out at this point. It's been bad before that. But then, lastly, a refusal. I don't know if refusal or a schematic. Uh, insufficiency is what we're going to point to here. There's a couple different things. They don't pass the ball to wide receivers. What's the issue in Minnesota? Uh, I hate to put on one guy, but I think it comes back to that Ethan Calig-Manis is not as far in his development as probably originally thought coming into this season. Now, the offensive line hasn't been great this year. It's been fine. But Calig-Manis just hasn't had the consistency and the accuracy this season that you'd like to see for him. And you look across the board, Minnesota has a nice group of wide receivers, Daniel Jackson, Corey Kroom, uh, Elijah Spencer are three names to know there. But they also have, you know, one of the best tight ends in arguably the country and Brevin Spanford, who they just have refused to use this year, 13 receptions for 66 yards. Uh, if you told me that's what he would have recorded through six games, I probably would have called you crazy. This is a, a, a tight end who is, you know, an athletic specimen, somebody who can create mismatches against almost any defense, and they've just refused to use him. Corey Crooms and Daniel Jackson have been their main targets this year. Uh, but I, I come back to it being Calic Manis just not being, you know, that far along in his development. And, I, I don't know if that's really anybody to blame on the Gophers coaching staff because this is a kid last year who played quite a bit um, in relief of Tanner Morgan while he was banged up. And he showed some promise last year, but this year it's just been, you know, a, a really underwhelming effort for him, from him, especially against uh, some of these power five teams. I mean, North Carolina just against North Carolina, 11 of 29, 133 yards, Against Northwestern, he was solid, 14 for 19, but just for 153. And then Michigan, he was uh, 
quite abysmal, five for 15, 52 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. He just hasn't been accurate. He he, he gets it close, but close isn't good enough against some of these defenses. Like P.J. Fleck will say, you know, it's just he's a, a foot off here or a foot off there. But in the Big Ten, a foot off can decide the difference between a, a touchdown for you and a pick six going the other way. And the opposing teams have two pick sixes, uh, I think, in the last two games for uh, the Golden go go against the Golden Gophers. Well, um, I have a feeling that Cooper DeGene and Sebastian Castro are licking their chops here and that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a favorable matchup, uh, to say the least, for Calgman. It's going, to, going up against this Iowa defense. Yeah. Now, when – with that issue, looking at Deacon Hill, what he has said is it's, you know, those jitters. He hasn't played he prior to this season. He hadn't played a competitive football game in a competitive football game since high school. So that's pretty understandable coming into these games. And obviously I think in Cade McNamara is going to be the guy, but you know, you're number two, took some number one reps, took some uh, reps with the ones in, in uh, the spring, I believe when Cade was still recovering from his previous surgery, took some reps with the ones during fall or yeah, fall camp. And then now he's the starter with the injury to Cade. So a few things in there, you give him a little bit more grace than you otherwise would, but still he hasn't been good. Like he, he has not been good. 37 passing yards last week in the yeah. win against Wisconsin. Flip it over to Cali McManus. Is it the yips? Is it, I mean, like I, I look at uh, the stats. I, I did some research prior to us sitting down here. Ninety fifth in sacks allowed. Yeah, like that would make me a little. Yeah, I gotta get moving here and and eventually get rid of the ball so I don't get walloped. You know. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. I guess the offensive line has not been Minnesota Calgary this year. They lost a lot on that offensive line last year. It's been fine in the run block in two degree. The pass blocking has been a problem, especially against your bigger athletic defensive lines, especially like Michigan. I think there is a little bit of, you know, in the back of his head of being pressured a ton. And I, I think to a degree, he also just may be overthinking it a little bit too much. He may be trying to be a little bit too perfect. And by being a little trying to be too perfect, he's making more mistakes that are as hurting him. And and I think to a degree, it's probably a little bit of just, I I would say being, I I don't want to say overwhelmed, but it it almost is what he looks like out there at times is being overwhelmed by these opposing defenses. And I'm sure being pressured a ton isn't helping that. Um, uh, He's gone up against some, you know, tricky defenses and good defensive coordinators as well. Uh, And I'm, you know, that Michigan game kind of, makes a little everything seem a little bit worse i think but at the same time this is a kid who has a a strong arm he has all the physical capabilities it's there it's just i i think the struggles that he's going through now are going to pay off down the road it's just a question of how bad are these struggles going to be for him before it starts paying off now i think with the bye week he probably was able to work on some of the little things that were probably uh hurting him his mechanics haven't always been great he's he he goes and throws off balance quite a ton throws off his back foot uh which you know you may have a great arm but if you're throwing off your back foot a lot it's it's not going to lead to much success for you he he looks like a young quarterback out there he he's going to need some more seasoning and, and yeah 
the wide receiver room for Minnesota is good, but it's it's not in the lead wide receiver room by any means. They've struggled against separation at times. But at the end of the day, he's going to have to be more accurate as passes going forward. And I, I think that comes down to a combination of fundamentals and then just kind of feeling that pressure come down on him uh, quite constantly. Last thing on the offense, and then we'll flip through uh, to the defensive side of things. Minnesota's 15th in the country in time of possession with having pretty bad offense. How are they doing that? I mean, 77th in third down conversion and well, I mean, I see this here and they're 121st in, uh, well, I guess that's red zone defense. So that we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but, um, 77th and third down conversion yet 15th in time of possession, 127 first, or excuse me, 127th in passing offense. How the hell do you manage that with the ball not moving on the off on the, yeah, on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah. It's, it's really, you know, it's intriguing to look at it that way. And I, I honestly think a lot of it goes back to the success that Darius Taylor did have uh, in those three games that he uh, played really well uh the golden gophers dominated the time of possession each one of them i mean let me pull up his uh russian stats here in those three games they they were phenomenal performances um against eastern michigan he 33 carries for 193 yards north carolina 22 carries 138 yards uh northwestern 38 carries 198 yards when he is on the field and healthy, the Golden Gophers have been able to control the time of possession, have been able to stay on the field quite consistently because he's able to pick up five, six yards per carry. He's not only quick and athletic, but he has the size to withstand power five defenses and big 10 defenses. He can be physical to go along with that speed and athleticism. Um, and, 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 you know, they still, even without him, get decent push in the run game it's not great but we go back to what i think we talked about a couple weeks ago with uh penn state it may not be sexy numbers but they're averaging for the most part three and a half four yards per carry even with those other running backs for a team that's been focusing on running the ball a little bit more than passing the ball and by a little bit i should say way more um you know three and a half four yards per carry or the course of a drive is going to pick you up a couple first downs. They've done a good job of staying on track for the most part through the first couple plays of a drive, picking up a first down or two. It's when those series kind of, when they get into those long passing situations where they need a big pass and play, where they're really struggling to stay on the field uh, just because of all the struggles we talked about, Cali Manis. If they can stay in, in in situations where they can run the ball, this is a team that can stay on the field for quite a bit, but they have a hard time punching it in as well in the end zone. They've struggled in the red zone quite a bit this year. Some of that goes down, comes back to the passing struggles and some of that comes down to uh, when you're in the red zone on the goal line, it's a little easier for those opposing defenses to contain the run game in those types of situations. Open to the defensive side of things for Minnesota. The stat that I inadvertently, uh, spoiler alerted for everybody, 121st in red zone defense for the Gophers. That is not good, especially for for an Iowa offense that does get 
opportunities in the red zone, a lot of golden opportunities by way of turnovers, by way of the way uh, Tory Taylor punts the ball. They get opportunities in their opponent's territory. Whether or not they capitalize is a whole nother thing. And then you're facing a team that's 121st in red zone defense. That's got to be a concern for, for Minnesota going into this one. Yeah, this is a Minnesota defense that has really struggled when you get them backed up in their own territory. It's now to a degree, I think a lot of that comes back to their performances against North Carolina and Michigan, especially those two teams had a field day against this Michigan defense. And so did Northwestern to a degree, which is kind of amazing to say. Um, but I think the easiest way to put it is that this this Minnesota defense lost a few pieces from last year through the transfer portal to the draft that they haven't been able to replace. The secondary has taken a few steps back. The linebacker unit lost guys like Mariano Sori Moran, who was a major leader on that defense. Maverick Barankowski has been solid this year, but still isn't to that Sori Moran level just yet. And they're, I think they're missing that veteran leadership not leadership, but that veteran presence on the defensive side of the ball. They haven't been as fundamentally sound, gap sound this year. Um, it, it, it's just been really ugly, as you, the stats show, for the golf, Gophers in the red zone, but just in all in total on their side of the field this season. Now, you, you mentioned the front seven not being great, secondary not, a, not exactly being great either. Where is the the real weakness for this Minnesota defense? Where have teams been attacking them the most typically? Yeah, I would say the real weakness of this Minnesota defense, I would still personally pinpoint as probably the defensive line to to a degree. It, it's it's not that this is a bad defense; it's still a solid defense. The passing numbers were a little bit probably. The, the pass defense was probably a little bit made worse, but made look, looks worse due to their performances against North Carolina and Northwestern, especially. Um, it's not it's not a great secondary, but it's a good enough secondary that I, I don't think like Iowa is going to give them problems. I don't think a lot of teams are going to give them problems going forward, but that front seven is especially an issue, I think, right now. Uh, opposing Russian attacks have three games this year of 175 plus rushing yards. Nebraska rushed for 181. Louisiana rushed for 177. Michigan rushed for 191. The two teams that didn't run the ball a ton for success against Minnesota ended up throwing the ball for 400 yards in North Carolina and Northwestern. They had a good performance across the board against Eastern Michigan, but no offense, that's Eastern Michigan. That's a wide, very different team than uh, the other five power five teams that Minnesota has faced this year. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say it's that front seven right now against the run uh, opposing offense is averaging 4.5 yards per carry. And then you go back to those three uh, really tough performances, 4.9 yards per carry, 5.8 yards per carry, 6.6 yards per carry. I know this isn't an Iowa offense that maybe doesn't, isn't to the same level of some past Iowa offensive lines in the running game, but it's still one that I think they have a very advantageous matchup against this Golden Gophers defense, especially when you consider that the Golden Gophers don't really rotate a ton of guys in and out during a game. They only play, 
I, I think on average it's about 20, 24 guys a game uh, against a physical team like Minnesota. I mean, th- th- I'm looking at it now. Minnesota, according to Pro Football Focus, has only played 23 guys on the defense this season. When you're going up against a physical team like Iowa that's going to wear you down over the course of the game with the run, I think that spells disaster for a defense uh, late in the game. Um, and I, I don't think P.J. Fleck and Joe Rossi is, are going to change their philosophy when it comes to rotations this week. LaShawn Williams and Caleb Johnson combined, well, and Seth Anderson, if you count the end around, combined for 200 yards last week against Wisconsin. Of course, that 82-yard touchdown for LaShawn Williams, LaShawn Williams, rather, in uh, in that game. So definitely going to be looking for that as an advantage for the Hawkeyes this weekend. Now, We've referenced it a couple times. Minnesota coming off a bye week. Under P.J. Fleck, is that usually a good thing for Minnesota? Because Iowa, you know. Yeah, I would say historically under P.J. Fleck, coming out of the bye week has been good for the Gophers. It hasn't always been, you know, he's not one of those coaches that coming out of the bye week, it's an automatic win. But the Gophers usually put up quality performances in these types of games. They usually bounce back uh with I'm sorry not bounce back they usually come out show improvement in some key areas last year they lost to Illinois but uh the year before that they came out of the bye week beat Nebraska 30 to 23 uh in 2020 uh coming out of the actually was there a bye week in 2020 I can't even remember that that year was so weird I I have no idea I, I think there was <laughs> I, look looking at pro football, football focus right now there was a bye week in 2020 they also beat Nebraska. I mean, being Nebraska those years wasn't, you know, exactly a hard task. Um, but, yeah, they've had success coming out of the bye week before. Uh, I think back to, um, I think, 2019, they were especially great coming out of bye week against uh, Penn State in which they pulled off a big upset over the Ninny Lions that season. Uh, so it does usually lend to success, but I'm not sure the bye week this year – is going to be able to fix a whole lot because I think at the end of the day for Minnesota this year, it's a lot more about the personnel more than anything. Iowa has won the last eight meetings between these two games. Is that coming into, or is that in the mind of the Gophers coming into this game? You think? Uh, I don't think it's going to be a thing that they're like, you know, they've beat us eight straight times. We have to come out and, and I don't think it's going to add more pressure but I think they, PJ Fleck has talked to his team uh, a bit about this rivalry game. They know what it means. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it, to a degree, it's on their mind of like, hey, Iowa's kicked our ass. Uh, to, it, it's been close games, but at the end of the day, if you've lost eight straight, the other team has kicked your ass over the last, you know, decade. I, I think they, they want to kind of, you know, get that revenge in, but I don't think it, it adds to any more of, you know, uh, the motivation to win this game. The, the, the motivation's already there. They know that they need a win here to kind of get their season back on track. You look at the rest of their schedule, it's not an easy rest of the schedule. They still have Wisconsin, who despite the injuries, is still a team that they that is still a very quality team and that can beat this uh, Minnesota team. They still have uh, Ohio State on the schedule as well. So, I mean, if they don't get a win here, it, it, the avenue to six wins kind of gets tough. You, you, they would have to win out against Michigan State, Illinois, and Purdue 
and that's not, you know, counting Ohio State and Wisconsin, which I'd probably chalk up as losses right now. So I, I definitely think that they know they need a big win here. And despite everything that we've talked about that's kind of been an issue for the Golden Gophers this season, I still think this is a game that is winnable for them just because of some of Iowa's deficiencies. It's, it's going to come down to, in my opinion, can Minnesota slow down that Iowa rushing attack, which is a major if. Definitely could be a trap game for the Hawkeyes here. Riding high after that Wisconsin win. They're 6-1. and one. Minnesota coming off a bye. Expectations going into this weekend for you. Do you have a final score prediction? For the record, spread is 3.5. Over under at 31. Yeah. 31. For the record, <laughs> I think 31 may still be too many points for these two teams. I mean, you. this is a – I don't know if there's ever been a more Big Ten matchup uh, between two teams in recent memory. Uh, of course, you can go back 15, 20 years, and the 2000s were a little weird, but in the last few years, this is quite a Big Ten, pure Big Ten matchup. These are two teams that really can't pass the ball, two teams that are going to rely on running the ball extensively in this game to win it, two teams that have – well, Iowa has a great defense. Minnesota on paper should have a good defense. I'm expecting a low-scoring game. I, I think this could be, you know, like a – a weird 12-9 type score. I I wouldn't be surprised if this is all field goals. I do think Iowa probably gets a touchdown here. Ultimately, I, I think I'm leaning Iowa went to win this game. I think along the lines of 16 to 10 would maybe make sense. I, I don't see a lot of points being scored. I, I don't just because I think these are two defenses that are gonna play well against the other side, but I think both these teams are gonna run the ball a ton and that doesn't usually allow for a ton of points to be scored. Uh, so I, I think I'd go on the record. Let's go 16, 10 Iowa. All right. On uh, well, on the record for me, it's obviously dependent on Darius Taylor. A large part of it yeah. is, and I'm sure it is for that, you. Yeah. But say, you know, assuming he's out, I'm, I'm at Iowa 17, three. At yeah. This point. I, think I think that's fair. I, I, I find it, I do find it a little hard to find where Minnesota could score a touchdown this game without Darius Taylor. It would take, uh, obviously, a little bit of an Iowa miscue for that to happen, with, which this is obviously a great Iowa defense. They have had some miscues this season, but not many of them. Uh, but I don't think this Iowa defense is going to have multiple mistakes uh, that allow Minnesota to win this game. Uh, maybe Minnesota comes out with something we haven't seen this year, maybe eighth and Cal Mannix takes a big step forward and makes some big time throws, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not bent on that to happen. If Darius Taylor is healthy, that changes it up a little bit. I think this could then be a little bit of a game that could put Iowa a little bit. I mean, it's only a three point spread, but I think it could put Iowa a little bit on an upset alert just because he does have that game changing ability. But assuming that he's out, uh, I, I would lean Iowa here. And even if he plays, I'd still lean Iowa here. He's not a a guy who fixes every little issue with this Minnesota team. I think Minnesota is still going to have to find a way to throw the ball successfully a little bit to beat this Iowa team just because Iowa's strength is obviously in stop on the run. Uh, they're not bad against the pass, obviously, either. And going against this Minnesota pass attack, like you said, is going to have the Iowa secondary licking their chops. You mentioned miscues. One thing to keep an eye on since Deacon Hill has been the starter, 
is balls will get popped up in the air by the opposing defensive line. There's been some times where he'll throw it into some congestion too on like a tight end screen over the middle. There's been a few balls that probably should have landed in the hand of an opposing defender. So that's something to keep an eye on, not only in this one, but going forward for Deacon Hill, especially when you're talking about miscues that may lead to a loss. The other team taking advantage when they are there, uh, uh, Mitch or wait, uh, 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 Mason Richmond got his first pass breakup of his career last week because it popped up, landed in the arms of Wisconsin defender, and he popped it out. So uh, can't rely on Mason Richmond every time for for getting together a pass breakup. Yeah, and I'll be interested to see how this Minnesota front seven uh, gets pressure on this. Uh, it gets pressure on Iowa and. Deacon Hill. Uh, the front seven this year has been solid. I mean, they have 80 pressures through six games. Um, they have 11. They all, however, they only have 11 sacks. So they're getting in the backfield, but they're not getting to the quarterback every time. They only have 14 court, quarterback hits. They're hurrying the quarterback quite a bit, which, you know, would be advantageous against Deacon Hill. He's somebody who we've seen struggle under pressure. Um, but I mean, how many opportunities are you going to get here if you're Minnesota, if Iowa just chooses to do what they did last week and, you know, throw the ball, what, like 13 times? Is it- uh, 14 times, 14, yes. 14 times. Six I mean, of 14, 37 yards. Yeah, I, I just – I don't know if Iowa really has to do much different than what they did against Wisconsin to beat Minnesota. I think Iowa can just dominate the time possession, dominate on the ground. They're going to be able to win this game. It won't be pretty, but they'll be able to win this game and – uh, I, I just I find a hard time finding an avenue for Minnesota to win this game because of how their run defense matches up against Iowa's run game. There you have it. Our predictions, Iowa takes the win this weekend in Kinnick, but definitely a game to watch, keep an eye on. Iowa, Minnesota fan could go either way. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Hotcast. We appreciate you listening as you do every Monday and Thursday and Wednesday if you're on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube, drop a like, drop a comment, tell us what you're thinking. What's your prediction for this game this weekend? Do the Hawkeyes get the W or not? And if you're a premium subscriber, if you're not a premium subscriber, rather, you can do that today. Head over to iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Get all that recruiting content from us as well as the inside information on basketball and football. Subscribe, leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. And for now, we'll see you next time.